Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt says, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today, as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realised they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slave to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, 
Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labour. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. And we're then going to skip uh, to the end of verse 25. (laughs) These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, the same Moses and Aaron. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites." And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. And if you've lost your place, it would be great if you could have your Bible open there on page 61. If you're at home, it did come up on the screen, but it won't through the talk. So if you've got a Bible to hand, worth grabbing it now and having that open in front of you. This morning, we are continuing this series through these early chapters of Exodus. And last week, we saw that Moses, who had been in exile from Egypt for 40 years, was sent back by God to Israel to break the Israelites out of Egypt and set them free. But Moses was very reluctant to go, uh, to say the least. Well, eventually uh, he was persuaded and he went back. God gave him a sidekick, his brother Aaron, and together they went to tell the Israelites how God had heard their cries and had sent them to break them out of Egypt and out of slavery there. And the people, it says, were so moved by hearing that God was concerned for them, that they bowed down and worshipped. And the stage now is set for God's great rescue, but we don't quite get there yet this week. Because in the first couple of verses of our reading this morning, we get this very big question. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. 
Who is the Lord? Now, that is a question that God is not going to let slide. And what we're going to see this morning and over the next few weeks is God beginning a a very sustained and very clear campaign to answer that question. Five times in our reading, I wonder whether you heard it like a drumbeat through the reading that Jen read for us. God said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He is desperate to answer Pharaoh's question. In the rest of Exodus, it comes up another 10 times. I am the Lord. And he's very eager that we know him. Why? Because unless you truly know someone, you can't truly trust them. Uh, John Newton is uh, the man that is most famous for having written that hymn, Amazing Grace. You probably all know that, or at least the tune. Well, he was also a, a pastor and a very prolific letter writer. In one of his letters to someone, he wrote this, the more you know him, God, the better you will trust him. And the more you trust him, the better you will love him. Now, in any relationship, we know that it's true that you need to truly know someone before you can truly trust someone. Uh, We each know that. If you think now, even, of the people in the world you trust the most, the most deeply, the people you would trust your life with, the life of your children, if the worst were to happen to you, you know, those kind of people, who are they? Well, I bet they're people you know very well. You have to really know someone before you can truly trust them. I mean, there are plenty of people that we know who we wouldn't trust. You know, I know that my kids can't be trusted with the car keys, for instance. I'm not going to trust them with that. But if you are to truly trust someone, they have to be someone that you truly know. Well, God wants to make that list for you, not just to make it. In fact, he wants to top that list of those that you trust. And so he wants to make himself known to us. God wants you this morning to truly know him so that you can truly trust him. And that's what he's always wanted for his people. It's what he wants here in Exodus chapter five. And so God designs, orchestrates events so that Pharaoh will ask this question, who is the Lord? Because the answer is something that all of us needs. And most especially when life is hard, when things don't go how we're planned and we're confused by what God is doing. And that is exactly the situation of God's people here at the start of Exodus. And so God sent Moses to rescue the Israelites, to lead them out of slavery there. And when they heard at the end of chapter four that God was concerned about them, they bowed down and worshipped. But then things got a lot worse, not better. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh to ask him to give up his most valuable economic asset, a whole nation of people bound to slavery to him at his beck and call. And unsurprisingly, he says, verse two, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And so they ask him again, look at verse three. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. And that really winds Pharaoh up, that they have the audacity to ask again. And so verse four, the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. 
He's really wound up, but we only see how wound up he is by what he does next. Look at verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. You see, Pharaoh's response is vicious, and the result is inevitable. Uh, we see that um, in, uh, verse, uh, from verse 10. The Israelites simply can't meet the quota that is being insisted upon. And so verse 14, Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelites overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? So what do they do? Well, of course, they go up the chain of command. They go straight to Pharaoh themselves to complain. They cry out to him. And verse 15, they say, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And Pharaoh's reply, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get back to work. You won't be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. And that's when they realize they're really stuffed. And when they leave Pharaoh and find Moses and Aaron, and they they talk to them, they say to them this, verse 21, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, the surprise here, really, in chapter 5, isn't Pharaoh's response. We kind of knew that was coming. God had already told Moses in chapter 3 that Pharaoh wouldn't just let his greatest economic asset walk out the door. No, the, the surprise here is Israel's response and Moses' response with them. You see, at the end of chapter 4, they were on a spiritual high worshipping God. But when things got worse for God's people, not better, well, it reveals that they don't really trust him at all. And it seems the same is true of Moses, who returns to God and complains against him. Look down at verse 22, 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Uh, Recently, we have um, been hearing a lot in the news, haven't we, about vaccine confidence. (laughs) Are people confident in the vaccine? And looking at the level of uptake in our country, at least, it, it shows that vaccine confidence is very high and rightly so. And I'm sure we all know some people, I know someone in this church family for whom this was true just this week, who have had the offer for a vaccine, who have gladly taken it, gone, got their jab in the arm, uh, gone home, and then they felt absolutely rotten for sometimes several days. Now, what I've not heard anyone say at that point is, oh, I should have believed the anti-vaxxers. It's all a load of rubbish. Now Bill Gates is probably tracking me on his laptop, something like that. No one suddenly caves in and sees their confidence crumble. They kind of know this is half the course. 
and they continue to have confidence in the vaccine. Or what happens to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 5 reveals how very fragile their trust in God really is. The first moment things get worse, their confidence crumbles. And it's a challenge to us, actually, and it's one that I feel very strongly. Do I only trust God in the good times? When I'm on a spiritual high? When it's summertime and the living is easy? Or do I also trust him when life is hard, when things don't go the way that I want? When I don't understand what he's doing? The truth is, if we only trust him when times are good, well, then we don't really trust him at all. Pharaoh doesn't see why he should obey the Lord. Israel don't see why they should trust the Lord. And for both, it's because they don't know the Lord. God wants us to truly know him so that we can truly trust him. I mentioned uh, in the news slot last week that we're currently planning to refurbish the parish centre just over there. It's um, in a bit of a state, so we're going to get it all refurbished. And we sent out a a couple of months ago now a a list of jobs to uh, potential contractors and asked them to give us a quote. And they've all sent their quotes back in. We've got a beautifully uh, made spreadsheet um, uh, someone in the church family put together so that we can compare them all. And one of the factors we're obviously comparing them on is price. But after that, we're trying to work out, do we really want to trust these contractors with our building? And so there are a number of questions. A few of us met just earlier this week, and these are the questions we were considering as we try and work out which contractor to appoint. We tried to work out, do they have a good record of keeping their promises? Do they stay on budget and deliver within the time frame they say they will? And so we've been getting in contact with people who have employed these contractors before, saying, you know, do they they keep their promises? Can we trust these guys to do what they say they're going to do? The other thing that we've been checking is, are they able to do the job? Have they got any experience working with that kind of building, doing this kind of job? Have they got the expertise? Have they got the people power to do what they're saying that they believe they can do? And thirdly, we've been considering, are they personally committed and invested? You know, is there enough of a financial interest for them to kind of stay interested in it? Have they got a reputation that they'll want to defend? Can we trust them in that way? We've been trying to get to know these contractors so that we can see whether we will trust them with the building. Well, look, in chapter six, something very similar is going on. God wants us to know that we can trust him because he keeps his promises, because he rules his world so he's able to save, and because he loves his people. And so he's personally very, very committed to them. First, he keeps his promises. That's there in verses uh, two to five. Have a look. Chapter six, verse two. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. There's that first drumbeat. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Remembered there doesn't mean that he, he forgot, it slipped his mind. Oh, yes, uh, covenant, yes, I should, should do something about No, remembered means that he's enacting the next stage of fulfilling his promises. 
He is one who keeps his promises. Secondly, he rules his world. Look at verse six. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, another drumbeat, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. He's about to hit the Egyptians with 10 plagues, forcing Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, which will prove in this battle between God and Pharaoh that there is only one true God. There is only one true God and he is committed to his people, that he rules the world and that he's mighty to save. And thirdly, look, he loves his people. Look at verse seven. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. The whole of Exodus we're seeing is about the ruler who rescues for relationship. And this is the God who loves his people and wants to be in relationship with them. He's saying here, you will be mine and I will be yours. You can imagine those words in a a love ballad, couldn't you? God is the God who loves his people, is committed and invested in them. And all of this should help God's people to trust in him. But it all falls on deaf ears. Look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. And that further discourages Moses. God tells for him to go back to Pharaoh. And and verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? They're all getting pretty down in the dumps about this. It's not going well. Confidence in God has crumbled. And confidence in his chosen ruler, Moses, rescuer, Moses has crumbled as well. And uh, Jen very tactfully um, uh, uh, skipped over that long list of names. But the point there in verses 13 to 27 is there's this doubt now in the credibility of the one that God has sent to rescue his people. And so this family tree, as it were, establishes that this guy who's been out of Egypt for 40 years, who, if we remember, was actually raised in Pharaoh's court. Who is he? Can we really trust this guy? He is a real Israelite. This is his family tree. He has been sent by God. You can trust him. It's about establishing the credibility of Moses as God's rescuer. And yet, trusting God and in his rescue at this point is in tatters. God wants us to truly know him so that we can truly trust him. The Israelites don't understand what God is doing in these chapters. And maybe we don't either. There are some confusing things. Well, well, look at this. God makes it very clear what he is at um, and what he is up to in these chapters. Everything God is doing here is enabling us to truly know him so that we can truly trust him. Moses asks him, chapter 5, verse 22, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? Why have you allowed things to get worse before they get better? And look at what God's answer is. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And then look down at verse 6 again. This is what God says he's going to do. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And here it is. Then you will know that 
I am the Lord. Secondly, God says that he'll send Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. But look at chapter 7, verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Why is God going to do that? If God can change people's hearts, if his aim is to get his people out of slavery, why harden Pharaoh's heart? Isn't that shooting himself in the foot? Why not just make Pharaoh favorably disposed to the Egyptians and and let them go? That would have made a much shorter book, wouldn't it? Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. Pharaoh replies, all right. We would have saved a lot of time, wouldn't we? Why does God do that? Well, he gives us the answer. Look at the rest of chapter 7, verse 4. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Do you see? And then it wasn't in our reading, but just skip over to chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Chapter 9, verse 15. God says this to Pharaoh through Moses, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped, off, wiped you off the earth. Well, yeah, God, why didn't you just do that in one fell swoop? Throw open the door, the Israelites can leave. This is the answer. I have raised you up, verse 16, for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name, what's his name? The Lord, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, all of this is so that we may know the Lord, the Israelites, the Egyptians, all nations. Because it's not enough for God to tell his people to trust him. He has to show them that they can trust him. And that's what he's about to do in the next chapters in spectacular fashion. Such that the Israelites, the Egyptians, all nations will know that he is the Lord. And they will have that emphatic answer to Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? Now you will see. Strap in, Pharaoh. Here comes the answer. And so by sending Moses back to Pharaoh, God is moving events towards the confrontation that will reveal who he is so that we can know and trust him. You know, in years to come, when a little Israelite boy or girl would tug on their mummies and daddies' clothes and say, who is the Lord? You know, their answer would have been with a story. The story of the Exodus, the plagues, the Passover lamb, the crossing of the Red Sea, the provision of food and water in the wilderness. And they would have said, this is how we know who the Lord is that he keeps his promises, that he rules his world, that he loves us, his people. These events in history allow us to know him and allow us to trust him. And you know, today, when we ask, who is the Lord? You know how we answer that? With a story. The story of a man who came from God to save his people. A man who showed himself to be God, come to save his people. The story of his great acts of salvation through the cross 
and the empty tomb. The good news of Jesus is our story of salvation. How we can know and trust and love God. At the cross, we have seen that he is the Lord who keeps his promises. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. At the cross, we have seen how he is the Lord who rules his world. It didn't look like it, did it? It looked like he was defeated, that Satan had won, that evil people had triumphed. But in fact, Acts 4 verse 28 says they did what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And God used that apparent defeat and weakness and foolishness on the cross to bring about a great victory, the forgiveness of sins. At the cross, we have seen how he is the Lord who loves his people. 1 John 4 verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Exodus 6 verse 6 said this, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Well, ultimately that promise was fulfilled as Jesus died. There we see the arms of God, both outstretched on a cross. And there was a mighty act of judgment, but the judgment fell not on God's enemies, but on God himself in the person of his son. This is our salvation story. This is how we know God and see his character most clearly, wonderfully, truly displayed through Jesus, his cross, and the empty tomb. Well, look, this is what we should be taking away from these chapters. These chapters show us how to know God, first of all. If you want to know God, someone said to me this week, exactly that, that they wanted to know God. If you want to know God, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're looking into these things for the very first time or whether you've been a Christian for many, many decades, The place to look is Jesus, his cross and the empty tomb. They reveal absolutely that God keeps his promises, whatever the cost, that he rules his world with wisdom and power, and that he loves, that he loves, that he loves his people to death. They reveal his heart for us, his character, and that he is one that we can trust. So, friend, do everything that you can to fill your heart and your mind with the gospel of Jesus, his death and his resurrection for you. Make it your very frequent pattern to tell yourself the gospel and what it reveals to you about God. Different ways you can do that. Commit to coming here Sunday by Sunday, every Sunday, not just when you don't have a better invitation because actually you never have a better invitation in reality. Keep having the gospel poured into you. Come to Small Group Central. That's another place where we remind each other of the gospel and how to live in light of it. 
And if you're looking into these things still, meet up with a Christian friend and look at one of the gospels of Jesus. There you will see what he is like through what he has done for you. That's how you will come to know God, through Jesus, his son. These chapters show us how to know God. But look, secondly, this, these chapters show us how to know ourselves. When things got harder for the Israelites, it showed them something about themselves, that they didn't really trust the Lord. Instead, they complained against him. And when we face hard times, it can show us a lot about ourselves as well. Do we trust the Lord? And if we discover we don't, well, that should send us back to the cross for forgiveness and for us to be reminded of why we really can trust him. When we face hard times, it should show us where else we turn for help instead of the Lord. The Israelite overseers cried out to Pharaoh. I don't know whether you noticed, but they repeatedly referred to themselves as his servants. Your servants, your servants. It's the same word as translated as as worship, the same root word. We're your servants, we're your worshippers. They cry out to him, and what response did they get? Lazy. Get back to work. Because Pharaoh, like all false gods and idols, didn't care one bit for his worshippers and would gladly crush them. But look, what do we see in Exodus? When we cry out to the Lord, what do we get in response? He sends his rescue man to come and lead us out of slavery to sin and death. And so who will you trust? Who will you cry out to in your time of need? An idol that will crush you, whether that's money or your home or your career or romance or pleasure? Or will you trust and cry out to the Lord who loves you and who is mighty to save you? And if you're struggling to trust God, then see this, you don't need more willpower. You need to know God more. God wants us to truly know him so that we can truly trust him, so that we can truly love him. He wants us to trust him because he's the only one who can save us. And he wants to save us because he loves us. And so friends, know yourself that we have hearts that are slow to trust God and quick to give up on him, but also take comfort in this, know the Lord Know him as you see how he has saved his people through the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb, that he keeps his promises, that he rules his world, that he loves, he loves, he loves his people. And as you know him, trust him as your personal savior through all the ups and downs of life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can know and trust you because you have made yourself known to us through your son, Jesus, and that story of our salvation through the cross and the empty tomb. Father, we can know you and trust you, but often we don't. Forgive our unbelief, our fragile, brittle trust in you. 
And help us to know you, Father, more deeply and truly as you fill our minds with the gospel of Jesus. So that in all the seasons of life, when things are easy and when things are hard and confusing, we will still say, I know the Lord and I will trust in him. Amen.